Hello, and welcome to Writing Matters, a podcast on books and creativity brought to you by the Writing University and the Department of English at the University of Iowa. I'm Blaine Gretemann, Professor of English and Chair of that department. My guest today is Tim Johnston, a 1985 graduate of the University of Iowa's English Department, who went on to get his MFA degree at the University of Massachusetts Amherst before becoming a New York Times and USA Today bestseller for his 2015 novel, Descent. He's published several other books and won the O. Henry Award for the stories in his collection, Irish Girl, and he's just published Distant Sons, which the Washington Post calls a moving tale of friendship, attraction, and long-term loss. It's a highly literary crime novel that isn't really about crime. It's about relationships and craft, and those are also topics we discuss. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, I'm I'm really excited to have you here and, and talk with you a little bit about your work. Um, you're one of the alumni who I know has been a really good friend of the department. Has come in and talked to our students over the years, times, and our advisors have always sung your praises coming out of um, those events. And but I but I didn't get to participate in them, so I'm kind of curious. I guess actually maybe starting there with what sort of advice you've given to our current students and young writers? Well, you're taxing my memory, but because uh, <laughs> that was months ago. <laughs> but I, uh, the last one I did was uh, months ago. But I try to, I, I guess, you know, I'm always sort of about managing expectations with a writing uh, background or an English background. Um, I, in particular, was sort of, uh, my options were, go out and teach sort of composition, number of uh, classes, courses of composition. And even now those those jobs, I think, are more scarce than they were when I was getting out of school. But I'm talking about getting out of graduate school. But as an undergrad, I had no idea what I was going to do with my English degree. And uh, the answer to that was, well, go to graduate school. <laughs> I took a year off and I worked as a secretary over in the uh, Psychological and Quantitative Foundations building. Hmm. And, uh, and then I got accepted to a graduate program. Now, that's not for everybody. Um, and it can, you know, it can continue to get you deeper in debt. Um, so it's a good thing to start figuring out, you know, I'd say, what do you, if you can't make a living reading books or writing, you know, how are you going to make a living to support your love of doing that? And uh, for me, the answer, finally, ultimately, after to become a carpenter mm. and that's not for everybody either you know you have to have some interest and aptitude for that so it's you know it's like well this is a great background for a lot of different jobs you know um, and my father hoped I would be a lawyer he thought an English background was great preparation mm-hmm. for the law and I believe it is which yeah it is it is and uh, but the la- you know it was the last thing in the world I wanted to be and so I just said yeah <laughs> it is and this went about my business so that's interesting. You, in other words, though, people have very different answers when I ask them sort of when they decided they wanted to be a writer. Mm-hmm. I've talked to a couple of people who said, like, from the time I was in second grade or, you know, yeah. I don't ever remember a time when I didn't want to do that. Right. But that doesn't actually sound like it was the case. No. You. No. In fact, I, I, when I started here in back in the summer of 1980, to date myself, uh, I, was an arts, I was an art major. That's what I'd always been interested mm-hmm. in. I'd always been drawing, and uh, and uh, but it wasn't very long before I became disenchanted with being an art major, and and I was casting around for some other 
major, and uh, it was just looking through the catalogs. I didn't know I didn't know what majors were even available, so I was just looking through the catalogs, and I saw all these courses that were that where you read a lot of books. And I thought I like to read books, mm -hmm. and I want to read books, and I finally figured out well that's either one of two things: that's a literature major or an English major or a combination of the two. Back in those days, you couldn't major in writing; yeah. you couldn't even minor in it yeah. in creative writing or nonfiction. And so that was my gateway into writing was was taking literature courses and and um, eventually I started you know I'd always sort of dabbled in writing since since late in high school um, I didn't take it seriously mm -hmm. by any means but I I guess by dabble I mean when I did write something teachers tend to notice and mm -hmm. they said hey that's pretty good um, and so I just to to have other experiences I started taking writing courses and really really had some great teachers. Paul Deal was one of them, um, Brooks Landon, Carl Klaus, who I, I knew these teachers from teach Hamilton in particular, I knew mm -hmm. from taking like uh, Chaucer with him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a nice transition. Actually, I don't think he actually taught a writing course that I took. I think I did a, uh, what do you call it, independent study. Okay. Yeah. wrote some very terrible nonfiction pieces for him. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's how I sort of uh, eased into writing. And by the time I graduated, I'd take, I was really into like, writing fiction mm -hmm. and, and nonfiction. And it was actually, um, but I still didn't know what I was going to do. And uh, it was Brooks Landon who said mm -hmm. one day, have you ever thought about graduate school? And I was like, no. <laughs> I had very low expectations yeah. for myself academically mm -hmm. to begin with. So to be even in college was uh, kind of amazing to me. Mm -hmm. And um, I was not a standout student in my, you know, youth. <laughs> but, but Brooks clearly must have seen something because you don't tend to recommend graduate school to people unless you you know unless you think right. they have talent and and maybe unless you think sometimes what i tell my students is like graduate schools if you if you don't think you have any other options like if you happy is to keep going yeah then graduate school might be the the thing for you, you yeah know, because it is a serious commitment yeah it's moving across the country yeah. half the time yeah um there's no job guaranteed on the other side mm -hmm. so it has to be takes a particular sort of person I think sometimes for you know for a faculty to reach out and say I think you're it's yeah. actually suit would suit you right and I don't think he knew enough about me to, to know that I had no big plans <laughs> you know that that would be a good uh, safety valve for me I think it was more about the writing you know he was mm -hmm. very uh, uh, encouraging you know and he was a big influence and uh, you know he just tended to uh, encourage me in class which meant a lot to mm -hmm. me and also when we, we we would meet in private so uh, and that that planted that seed, and and uh, I ended up applying to because I was I had no idea what I was doing and missed most of the deadlines for most of the programs. I ended up just applying to two, mm. and uh, I got into one, which was UMass Amherst, and and uh, I was just I went, and and and, then, and I will say this about graduate school: it's also a place to not just to take take a little more time away from the real world, but to actually figure out if the writing is your thing, if that's mm -hmm. really what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And so I did it, and I racked up some more debt, and I, but I, I never paid a dime in tuition because I was able to get you know graduate teaching positions. But still, I racked up some more debt. And, uh, and then I went out with my bachelor's degree and my MFA degree, I went out and became a carpenter, which is what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it is figuring out what... The, the day job is, especially when you're figuring out how to how to actually turn the writing 
into a career, especially if it's not, you know, whether the day job is teaching, like you said, or, right, or something right. else is important. Um, you're the second person who's mentioned Paul Deal oh, yeah. as I've been doing these interviews. And I wonder if you, I, I didn't know him. I, I, you know, I know I knew David Hamilton. Brooks is still on faculty yep. here. I know Brooks is really, you know, a pioneer in teaching nonfiction writing and thinking about style. Do you remember what it was that Paul Deal did that resonated in, in his classes with you? Well, you know, I, my feeling, my memory was that he was one of those early guys, early teachers who um, just brought out the best in people. He was a very sort of gentle soul and quiet spoken, and um, but very just sort of uh, encouraging. And, and he would send us out on these assignments like I just... I'd never had before, like go out and study some place and write about it, you know, just sit there and write about it and bring it back. And I'd never really had an assignment <laughs> like that. And so I went out on that railroad bridge, which we can see from here, we yeah. can see the tracks. And uh, I sat on there, it was one of my favorite places anyway, and um, I just wrote about everything that I saw, you know, and, and uh, I remember writing about the bridge you can see, the Union, the, no, the uh, street bridge you can see from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the trestles kind of have the arc of a skipped rock. Mm. And I remember writing that phrase down. It crosses the river like a skipped rock. And I, and that's just one of the memories I have. He brought that out of me somehow, mm-hmm. this kind of um, ability, this interest in seeing the world and describing it um, in some, maybe not original way, but it felt original to me at the time. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's probably what now we would call experiential learning or something you know there's probably a phrase for it but probably yeah and i have no idea what it is or what it was well but but creative teaching and creative pedagogy i I think um yeah i i do think immersing students in a place giving them opportunities to get out of the classroom i mean that's that's part of what i love to do when i'm teaching i mean I, i really think any opportunity that you have to you know to to take students and and let them explore and like you said yeah see things. So, yeah and we were ta- I think what it was he's really um, encouraging us to tap into some sort of untapped um, creativity it and it probably was a literature class wasn't it because he or, or was it a writing class? it was a writing uh, okay. class yes but it wasn't a fiction writing mm-hmm. class and it was more like personal essay I mm-hmm. think something mm-hmm. along those lines um, are there other classes that you that you remember that were particularly impactful and and I guess in particular thinking about the sort of genres that you gravitated towards as a writer later well no because nobody was teaching genre in those days mm-hmm. you know it was sort of a and I wasn't even thinking about it you know when I came here um I put away my Stephen King and uh, vampire novels and stuff and <laughs> you know and and uh got I got serious about mm-hmm. reading literature and short, you know, the short, short, short story in particular. Um, goodness. Speaking of, there's one of my big tomes that just, oh, that, that just sound was a, door. was a big Ben Johnson tome falling. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. It fell over. It's a ghost in the room. Yeah. That's it. It's because I mentioned genre. Trash. <laughs> and so, yeah, so like uh, reading Joyce and, uh, and Faulkner and, you know, and uh, Virginia Woolf and, and uh, really sort of absorbing the whole literary experience. Um, and um, I really got into that, you know, and, and it was a long time before I sort of started letting 
genre elements creep back into my own writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was publishing stories that I wanted to get published in journals like the Ira Review, you know, mm-hmm. or or even you know uh, the the ultimate New Yorker, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. something like that. I never made it that high up, but <laughs> but mm-hmm. came close once. But uh, so yeah, I was all about oh, I'm a literary writer now, and you know, I will write a uh, literary novel. And I did, and I wrote, and that one it went nowhere. And I wrote another one, and uh, it kind of was published as a young adult novel. And uh, it was after that that I, my story started having more uh, crime or death elements in them, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so there wasn't a lot of encouragement as an undergraduate, not as a graduate student either. Mm-hmm. You know, we were you we were still reading the serious literary stuff. So I would not have, and, and it, so it's still, to me, it's still kind of an adjustment for me mentally to, mm-hmm. to be considered a genre writer and see my books in mystery sections and stuff. Yeah, although, as we've talked about before, I mean, they are, they are literary, you know, if, if you're, if you're going to describe them as mysteries or thrillers, they are, they are literary ones, and the most recent one in particular, it's, I mean, in some ways, it's got elements of a kind of whodunit to it, but it's really more of a character, I would describe it as more of a character-driven yeah. story. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the kind of the core of it, really. To me, I mean, do you, does that seem accurate yeah. to you? In terms yeah, of that? And, and that's, that's you know, that's been my my thing all along. It's really, I start out in the literary vein, and, and I, and I but I put my, you know, I put in some element, like somebody's, some something bad has happened to someone somewhere, and and there's, there's not a ready answer to it, or mm-hmm. reason for it. But, it is to me. It's all about the characters, you know, and that's just sort of my training. It's like mm-hmm. that's that's characters, how plot is made. I hear this from students a lot, especially undergrads. You know, they come often. They you know they're reared on fantasy or other kinds of genre sure. fiction, and they feel like a little disappointed that there aren't more classes yeah. in that specifically. And what we typically say to them is, well, the, the literature that you read is a, is a kind of, you know, it gives you the building blocks to do right. whatever you want to do with your writing, including that kind of genre work. But they, they're not always entirely convinced by, mm-hmm. <laughs> by that and argument. That, and, yeah, and that was the line I used, too, when I was teaching, because when I was, and this wasn't very long ago when I was teaching at University of Memphis, is that, you know, the your 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 vampires and your and your whatever it is will be there <laughs> but for now let's let's practice writing about character and you know story situations and i guarantee you your your genre work will be so much stronger you know whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um for having taken the time to think about story structure and and character development and you know these kinds of boring things that <laughs> yeah <laughs> But I would also give them a little outlet, you know. I'd give them like a little writing assignment, and one was like, uh, "Walter the Vampire has a problem, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it can't be that it's his sunlight or lack of blood or something. What's his, you know, what's something he's just got to deal with as a as a creature in the world? Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and and that would sort of give them that sort of <laughs> a little bit of a release valve. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does seem to me like I've, one of the books I've got over there on the table is is by my colleague Bennett Sims, who is. What I would describe as a, or I think a lot of other people would describe too, as a high literary mm-hmm. horror writer. And so I do think that the thing that a lot of students for years have been calling for from the academy is 
is is actually starting to happen. I yeah. mean, you know, ben, Bennett's doing it. You've talked, you know, you're 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 doing it, wedding those things. I think a, a lot of others are as well. And so it's, I do think that sometimes there was an old attitude which was entirely dismissive of mm-hmm. genre yep. and in Dirty creative work. writing. Yeah, yeah. And and I do think that's faded a bit. I think Good. there are more people yeah. who at least will entertain the the notion yeah, that that's there the should sense be some I'm getting. And I, and hopefully there's more examples for them to to show students, you mm-hmm. know, of, of writing that can be richly um, character developed, but also be in that category, yeah. also be considered genre. And, you know, one of the great writing uh, manuals is by Stephen King on mm-hmm. writing, which mm-hmm. I think anybody can learn a lot from. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it always has struck me as a little bit perverse that students come and major in English because they they have this deep and abiding love for you know Stephen King and 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 some you know sometimes it's young adult fiction yeah. whatever it is yeah. and then we immediately sort of tell uh, yeah, them like exactly. it's um, a rude awakening yeah you, you have to drop <laughs> Here's that Joyce and read read yeah. James Joyce I had um, I I briefly met uh, Kurt Vonnegut one time oh, when that's... I was when when I was an undergrad and he his advice was if you wanted to be a writer not to be an English major precisely because mm-hmm. of that he yeah. said he said you know they'll, they'll give you Joyce they'll give you all the classics it's just too intimidating you're, yeah. you're, you're, and and so yeah. well he's a good example of somebody you can read as an English major and still yeah. get a sense of what's possible you know it's not yeah. like strictly hardcore literary canon canonical writing yeah yeah he he in a lot of ways he kind of got there first or, or yeah. early and started bridging those those fields. Did your own, when you were teaching writing, did that change your own writing in any ways? I'm... Well, it changed it in that I did a lot less of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, you know, they, you do get your summers and your, and your breaks, but um, I found that I, I spent a lot of time focusing on, on my students, which was what I was supposed to be doing, and my, you know, other academic duties. But I did find myself relearning things that I kind of had taken for granted, you know, and, and going through the early steps with them sort of reminded me of, of uh, some of the basics, some of the important basics of storytelling, narrative, uh, techniques that I was sort of, I'd taken for granted, and, and how to just sort of, uh, sort of slow the whole process down and think about it. And, so I think it did. I think it did matter. Did influence in one way in particular. I was uh, my previous book is called the current, the one before this one that's out now, but uh, I was actually sitting in a coffee shop reading student papers mm-hmm. when I got the idea of how to begin that novel, mm-hmm. and it was it begins with a couple of college students basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, had I not been doing that, uh, I don't know if I'd gotten that idea. Yeah. So it definitely influenced it in that sense. Yeah. Although the other influence, um, I mean, it sounds like what you kind of gravitated back toward is um, what you've already mentioned, carpentry. I noticed you've got paint on your on your hands. So oh, you've clearly yeah. been doing, I was doing, painting this morning. <laughs> you've been doing some work. I tried to get it off. And and for people who read the new the new book that's out now, Distant Sons, it is, I've talked about this a little bit when I, when we were in dialogue at Prairie Lights, but it's, it is really really interested in craft and carpentry and it's Mm -hmm. you know some of the most detailed scenes in the book i think are about making things and building things and or even sort of putting away tools and taking out tools so there's a lot of attention to that kind of detail in the book and and it also seems like you know in your life you've you know you 
you're doing more of that than you are teaching. So I'm curious how how that relationship looks for you. Yeah, so I get asked that quite a bit when people figure out that I'm a learn that I've done carpentry and and there are some unmistakable, you know, go-to uh analogies or connections in which is ship in general taking care with with uh your your materials, you know, as you would take care with uh, a good piece of oak, you know, you, the sentence is the same way. Uh you don't just throw it together and throw it out there. So because you're that. also a Finnish carpenter, is I'm that right? I'm a Finnish carpenter, okay. yes, yes. But I also do the, the big sort of rough work, too. Okay. Um, I, think, uh, I think one of the things I'm finding uh, now that I'm not required to do carpentry is that I'm enjoying it more again. And I think maybe that's why it came out so much in this book is mm-hmm. I've been away from it long enough um, that I was beginning to sort of really appreciate what that life taught me even though at times it just seemed like work, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it really taught me to have patience with the work, uh, which is the most important thing I think for a finished carpenter to have. You know, you mm-hmm. see these images of these carpenters with their old hand planes and they're they're shuk, shuk, mm-hmm. shuk, and then they're eyeing it and shuk, shuk. and that's exactly what it is. You know, you go until it's just right, until it fits just right, and it's kind of the same with making sentences, and that's one of the reasons. Um, the book feels, you know, for lack of a better word, more literary than some others might. Mm-hmm. Is. I really, that's really what interests me. I really want good sentences, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to make good images that, that, that you can see and touch, and, or not touch, but uh, uh, smell and mm-hmm. uh, imagine you smell and touch. <laughs> and imagine all those things. Okay, so, uh, so in that sense, I think there's a real parallel mm-hmm. between really sort of slowing down the process. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a moment in any of the books or stories that I've written that I haven't just gone over it and gone over it and make, made sure mm-hmm. it was just as clean as I, as, as I could make it. And then someone else goes over it and says, no, it can be a little cleaner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that, that doesn't happen so much in carpentry. Yeah. If like, it does, you're in trouble. Actually, <laughs> yeah. You're usually, probably yeah. not, you're probably getting paid too much for your work. But, uh, but, um, but I also, you know, I, I, I had to apprentice for a long time with somebody who really knew what mm-hmm. they were doing. It's mm-hmm. not like it just came to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to have all the things that I'd been doing wrong when I was just working for my father. And he didn't know much any more than I did, really. And um, So then I, when, I, when I fell into work with a, a really talented contractor, um, that's when I really began to learn how to do these things properly and mm-hmm. really look at things carefully and... You know, no detail essentially is too small. And mm-hmm. whenever I'm, you know, this is this is part of it too. I'm always looking at things that are built. Like mm-hmm. I'm looking at the joints of this desk that we're sitting at. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of, you know, prefab yeah. put together. But yeah. but if there was a bad joint here, I would notice it and I would go, what? Why is that there? Yeah. You know? And so yeah. that's, that's part of the training too. And that's one thing I would train, I try to teach my students to do, not look at, but look at the world that way, but look at sentences that way. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. how are these things put together? If you if you can slow down that process and learn to sort of see writing as a writer sees, sees mm-hmm. it, you can learn so much from books. You know, you don't have to necessarily take mm-hmm. classes, no offense mm-hmm. to our profession, <laughs> but uh, once you learn how to read like a writer, every book can teach you mm-hmm. something, you know? Yeah, and it, which in reading like a writer then really means... This, we, we've been talking a lot about this as an apartment. I think, um, you know, learning habits of attention is, mm-hmm. is what we keep talking com, coming mm-hmm. back to as the core. Is it, I think that is one of the really great things that an English major 
done right yeah. gives you is, yeah. is you know that that kind of ability to be sustained in your attention and to mm-hmm. and to really just just be in the moment and um, thinking about your book now and I'm realizing that one of the characters in fact doesn't have a mobile phone um, there's, oh, a, yeah. there's a there's right. a lot of I mean yeah. it's just there there are moments in the book that um, you know that seems sort of like a throwback and it seems to me that you really are you know you're you're interested in the relationship between these two men that meet one another and who then spend a lot of time just paying a lot of attention to detail and in, in their work and and um, and that's a I think that's an incredible gift wherever you get it you know uh-huh. you get it from an English major or you get it from a right. skilled and trade, I, which I know less about. Right, and I and I had a, a kind of conflict with my father in that sense, not not that we're in a therapy session, but <laughs> but his he always started projects and wanted to get them done and mm-hmm. move on to the next, and I was very slow for his <laughs> tastes, mm-hmm. and particularly when he was paying for it. Yeah, I I'm all, I'm all about slowing down the process and uh, and and not rushing to the end, and I also feel. You know, to talk about the blue collar worker worker guys is, they're kind of. There's an element of me, even though I have this. You know, I went to college and got my master's degree, but make having make having to make a living, not having to, but choosing sort of or falling into making a living with my hands my whole life has sort of taken some of the, you know, stuffiness out of my sort of existence. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't sort of spent all my years in academia um and so i kind of have that conflict going on in the book Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and one thing i think of in particular is uh there's a retired science high school science teacher who's always sort of telling stories and um and he so he's he's several times in the book he quotes shakespeare and Mm -hmm. this you know at this guy who this who's a carpenter who doesn't have any college education (laughs) and uh, i just like that sort of play of of backgrounds and character what what is your um do you have a kind of daily process or routine with your writing um or and well and and if you do or if you don't what is it like what is the process of writing a book like this Mm -hmm. look like well it uh there's the writing time and there's the non-writing time which is still writing time in a way but the writing time is when I'm when I'm really um, in, uh, immersed in a story and a narrative uh, in those in those times I actually get up and uh, I uh, I actually go from my bed to my sofa <laughs> and if I don't fall asleep again uh, from reading whatever I'm reading and uh, then I'll pick up my laptop and just start writing right where I am mm. and if it's a good day, you know, I, I'll I keep at it for several, maybe even six hours. I have a dog who has to go out from time to time, so I take breaks. Um, but um, really immersed, that's what it is day after day after day. And that's how you build a novel. That's mm-hmm. how, you know, one page becomes, in the end, 500 mm-hmm. manuscript pages. It's not a 500-page novel. but um, And then there's the time where you've finished that novel, and the next one is not queued up because I just don't, think that way. I'm mm-hmm. kind of totally into one idea or one story. Uh, and uh, even when that's done, it takes a while to clear out and make room and my make room for the next story to come in. And so that's where I'm at right now as we're speaking. And that's why you see pain on my knuckles. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I'm doing other things to sort of occupy myself. And it's sometimes doing that work that 
that's where the new idea comes mm-hmm. in. You know, that frees up the brain. It's like if you're looking too hard for it, you're never going to see it. Yeah. And also, I think, you know, if you have this, if this, like this idea for the new, this book, Distant Sons, um, was knocking around in my brain for a while. And, uh, and it might have even been Stephen King, actually, who, who gives this advice to writers. Mm-hmm. If you have a great idea for a story or a novel, don't write it down in your notebook. That's where, that's where bad ideas go to be immortalized. Mm. <laughs> but uh, do your best to forget it. And if you can't forget it, then start writing. So mm. that's kind of how, that's kind of the way I uh, come from working on the house to working on a book. So, mm-hmm. Because I can't, I can't stop thinking mm-hmm. about this idea. Mm. How long were you working on this one from sort of the moment that you actually committed to it? the moment that it well let's go like first draft and, and yeah, talk yeah. and talk through what that whole process looks like with your editor and everything because that's that's actually a piece of the process that i think yeah. is sometimes a little bit mysterious to people yeah. but so yeah first draft yeah so this book yeah so i uh to say i committed to it is a is a hard thing to say because I, I i i just was sort of i just started to see if it would take you know mm-hmm. And uh, just a page at a, de- a time, and you know whatever, but and and I wouldn't tell anybody that I was working on it because I didn't want uh, agents or editors expecting it and saying, "How's that book coming mm-hmm, along?" Mm-hmm. Or, and, and in case I said I decided it wasn't going anywhere and I abandoned it, which can happen. So, um, from the moment I started writing the early scenes to the last scenes, I think was about. A year and a half. It was right in the smack dab middle of COVID, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so once I had a draft, and I had rewritten that draft several times, I got to a point where I didn't think I could do any more with it at the time. Time always gives you more ideas for mm-hmm. what you can do, but um, so I had I wasn't going to send it to an agent or an editor at that point. I wanted someone else to read it. Action. So I have a reader, a friend of mine. Uh, in Los Angeles, on uh, a fellow writer and carpenter, I've done a lot of work hmm. with. So we're we're very sort of uh, similar minds and ethos. But um, I had him read it, and he's been my first reader for the hmm. for the last three books. And and he he had you know, and I was sort of like, oh man, this just could be a disaster, and hmm. you could just think this is this one's not working. And it's like, and he'll tell me too, like, mm-hmm. well, I don't know, Tim, I just don't think this one's coming together but he was like yep you've done it you've written another novel so and here's my thoughts and we would talk about it and and i would make some changes and then i had just enough confidence to send it to my agent who you know suspected i was working on something Mm -hmm. but didn't know when it was coming or what you know and so i suddenly just dropped this 500 page book on her lap and said here's the book i've been writing and then she has to take the time to read it and 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 then that's a whole other period of me wringing my hands and thinking Mm -hmm. oh yeah so that's that that was the first draft and then she and i work on the next draft and um she has an in-house editor who's really just a crackerjack uh, reader and editor and she and i work very closely um to get it to a level where we think we can send it to the editor at the publishing house mm-hmm. how, how did you find your agent and i mean this, this whole um i mean one thing and this, I think every writer you ever talk to talks about the importance of having good readers. You know, whether yeah. that's the kind of friend you describe, 
that you know some right. people some people get in regular conversation with the reading group, and then for a lot of people it really is an agent that you mm-hmm. have a relationship with. Yep. Um, so how how did that? Is this the only agent you've worked with? Is no. It, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't had as many as some people I know, but I've had quite a few. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had one, and and we felt very. You know, I felt very, uh, very uh, sort of. Uh, singled out when I had it when I came out of graduate school with an agent, mm. and I'm sure that happens all the time, particularly around here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but to come out of my school and have a, an agent that was pretty exciting, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and I wrote a terrible book for him, and um, he couldn't place it, and and eventually we went our separate ways. Mm-hmm. So I would say that. My current agent is probably the fifth agent I've had. Mm-hmm. Some took me on and were like, "Okay, this is sort of a te- experiment. We're gonna we're gonna send this out to so many places, and then if it doesn't sell, we're we're done." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> but this was a, a case where I had had an agent for quite a while, and I felt like I kind of I kind of needed a higher level agent, and I was sort of ready for one. Mm-hmm. And I, by that I mean someone who's you know more maybe has a little more cachet in the whole mm-hmm. literary New York City world. And so I, I sent out to these types of upper-level mm-hmm. agents, and I had several interested, and I in the end I got to pick from, like, three, and mm-hmm. I picked the one that I thought was who, I, who had the best idea of how to go forward with the, with the manuscript that I had at the time, mm-hmm. which was Descent, mm-hmm. and, um, and, uh, and all, who all, I also thought was best place to, best position to uh, find it a home. Mm. And that one did, and that was a wise choice because that's the one that did. That, yeah. That's the book that became the best known so far, I think. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and um, became a New York Times book, and and um, and and so yeah, that seems like a pretty savvy, savvy yeah. move. And the thing about that was, um, she uh, only had she wanted to send it out in a preemptive offer, which means one. Mm-hmm editor gets to look at it for a certain period of time and she had a certain editor in mind and she just thought it would be a good fit Mm -hmm. and it turns out he loved it and he wanted to make an offer and and the offer was very modest because I was unknown and um, there wasn't a bidding war or anything like Mm -hmm. that Uh, and we took we took the offer and you know she got the best she could get out of them Mm -hmm. it's like Mm -hmm. the most they they could pay a first time a debut author basically Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was true, but that's what they said. At the yeah, time. Uh, and um, yeah, and and we're, and so the process of working on it started all over again, mm-hmm. and that was interesting because from the time they accepted the book to the time it hit the shelf was two and a half years, hmm. and that's that was just how long their their process was for bringing out the books. Yeah. That they, it was just the earliest they could get it slotted in. That's changed. Now it's more like a year and change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But back then, that was the longest wait of my life. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because it, uh, it was my first serious book in the adult world. And, uh, and I just thought, I just, I can't write because I couldn't, I couldn't think, mm-hmm. I couldn't, I wanted to know how this thing was going to ha- go before, I, before yeah. I started another yeah. work. Yeah, I think it's very hard. I, I'm simpatico on that. It is great that the that the book is getting good reviews, and and like I said, I really enjoyed it. I um, when we were when we were talking at Prairie Lights, I think I mentioned that, um, you know, it it reminded me, even though I you know I think describing it as a 
as a mystery or a thriller is is not quite accurate because it has these other literary elements that that we've been talking about. But it did remind me how just pleasurable those genres are to read. I yeah. I really enjoyed reading the book and and in some ways for a plot that wasn't the central part of the book. I mean, I would enjoy getting to know the characters, but I found really gratifying, actually, the kind of nods towards genre that you were making. And um, and actually, was talking about this with a few of my colleagues the other day, too, and Jane Smiley, when she was in town, she was saying, I just I just love reading mysteries. It's yeah. my favorite genre. Yeah. And they're... they're um, you know, I, I guess that's just all to say I really enjoy, enjoyed well, I the book. It. <laughs> and, and, you know, it is, it is very, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a relief, actually, to, to see good reviews and, you know, know that, in general, I didn't blow it. Well, I really enjoyed the book, and I really appreciate um, all you've done over the years coming in and talking to our undergrads. Well, I hope I get to talk to them again. It's always a pleasure. They're, they're bright souls. All right. Well, thank you very much for talking thank to you. me. Thanks again to Tim Johnston, whose book Distant Sons is out now and available wherever books are sold. Thanks also to Lauren Haldeman of the Writing University for doing all the work that makes this podcast possible. And thank you for listening.